Amen. That's what Easter is about. I know we celebrated Easter a few weeks ago, um, but we celebrate Easter every Sunday. Uh, If you think about it, we celebrate our risen Savior uh, who's in the world, and we want to make sure that the world around us, uh, people around us that need Jesus, know about um, our risen Savior. Amen? Amen. Well, again, happy Mother's Day. I want to read to you real quick before we get into the message this morning, 20 things my mom taught me. And these are very fast. Um, I did not write these, but it was a title, uh, 20 things my mom taught me. First, appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. <laughs> my mom also taught me religion. You better pray That will come out of this carpet. (laughs) She taught me time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into next week. (laughs) She taught me logic because I said so. That's why. (laughs) She taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. (laughs) Have you heard some of these? (laughs) She taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) Science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. (laughs) How do you do that? (laughs) She taught me contortion or contortionism. Will you look at that dirt on the back of your neck? (laughs) She taught me stamina. You'll sit there until all that spinach is gone. She taught me about weather. This room of yours looks like a tornado went through it. She taught me about hypocrisy. If I told you once, I've told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. She taught me the circle of life. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. She taught me about envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in this world who don't have a wonderful mother like you do. She taught me anticipation. Just wait until we get home. I've heard that one, (laughs) or I heard that one growing up. She taught me about medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. Mother taught me about humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. She taught me how to become an adult. If you don't eat your vegetables, you'll never grow up. She taught me about my roots. Shut that door behind you. Do you think you were born in a barn? She also taught me about wisdom. When you get to be my age, you'll understand. And number 20, she taught me about justice. One day you'll have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you. I thought those were good. Mothers, we all... We all have a mom. We all have a dad. But more importantly than that, we were all created by God. I read something this week that stood out to me. It said, there are no illegitimate children. Sometimes there are illegitimate parents. There are no illegitimate children in the eyes of God. God knew who would be our mother. God knew who would be your father and my father. 
He knew about us and he had a purpose in mind before the creation of the world. Think about that. He had you in mind. We were created for very specific purposes. And this morning we are going to look at actually three specific purposes today that are uh, what we could say uh, foundational purposes or purposes that fit all of us today. Uh, I know that each and every one of us has, we all have specific purposes or a purpose that God has created us for. But we're going to focus on three that we could say today are for all of us that are here. God has given us, though, different individual purposes that are unique to our personality, our backgrounds, our, our giftedness, our talents. And we're going to look at those in the next uh, couple of weeks together. But the Bible is very clear about the importance of these universal purposes that I want to give you this morning. Three of those that we're going to look at. The first one is this. We were created to glorify the Lord. We were created to glorify the Lord. And we're going to look at these out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Last fall, we looked at Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, spent several weeks in those chapters. I don't know if uh, yet, if the Lord is going to continue... uh, through the rest of Ephesians uh, right now, but at least we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning and next week as well. But we're going to concentrate on the first 10 verses. First of all, Ephesians 4.1 says this, and I'm going to be reading out of the uh, Christian Standard Bible this morning. It says this, I urge you, and this is Paul, the Apostle Paul that wrote to the Ephesian church, to uh, this uh, church, and he was writing to uh, these believers in Christ, these ones that, uh, that were following uh, and trying to follow Jesus. So he says, I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. To live worthy of the calling you have received. Paul writes, all right, but um, I don't think so. But, <laughs> um, Yeah. All right. Uh, Let's go on. (laughs) Uh, Yes. If you're pleasing God, honoring him, you don't have to worry about that. All right. Okay. All right. Um, We need to jump a couple slides now to 1 Corinthians 10. Can we get that one up there? There we go. All right. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 And uh, there's going to be several verses here that we're going to go through uh, together. And this is verse 31. It says, so whether whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And the next verse, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. There's one more. Chapter 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Pastor Rick Warren wrote these words in his 
a book that has sold millions of copies now in The Purpose Driven Life. He wrote, if you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. You won't discover your life's meaning by looking within yourself. You can see that all over the world, though. Many people trying to do that. He goes on, he says, you exist only because God wills that you exist. You were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. It is only in God that we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, and our destiny. Every other path leads to a dead end. He says, life is about letting God use you for his purposes, not you using him for your own purposes. Last week, we really emphasized the fact that God loves you. God loves you. I want to ask you this morning, kind of turn that question around a little bit. Do you love God? God loves you. And we looked at that in John 21 when Jesus looked right at Peter and three times said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, of course, Jesus. Jesus, I, you know that I love you. I want to ask you that this morning. Do you love God? It's an important question for all of us to answer this morning. How do we know for sure that we are honoring God with our life? If we love God, like we sang with all of our hearts, with all our soul, our mind and strength, how do we know that we're doing that? How do we know if we're bringing glory to the Lord? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, if we go on now and look at verses 2 and 3, it says this. Part of this, the first part is from verse 1, first of all, live worthy of the calling you have received. He goes on, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Some great descriptive words there that help us know if we're bringing and giving glory to the Lord. If you turn with me in your Bibles now to Galatians chapter 5. When I was looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and thinking of these verses about humility, gentleness, patience, I immediately started thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26 together. There's a passage of Scripture that talks about, and, and really uh, the Apostle Paul again in Galatians, this is just a, a tremendous job of telling us what it means and the difference between walking in the Spirit, glorifying the Lord with our life, walking in the Spirit versus the flesh. The Spirit versus the flesh. And he says this, starting in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do 
what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. And he lists these. And he, I mean, Paul just starts out, I I don't know, I guess thinking about Paul here writing this is just like, I might as well just get it out here. (laughs) The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. And then he just adds this at the end of that list. And anything similar. (laughs) Quite a list there. We see it all over the world. We don't have to go very far to see these things. And he says, I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a warning. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Quite the opposite, isn't it, in those lists he gives us. Living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit versus the flesh. If you want to know whether or not you're living a life that glorifies the Lord, ask yourself, am I living according to the Spirit? And what the Holy Spirit wants and desires? Or am I living according to what my flesh desires? In other words, my lifestyle, my life choices, the way that I treat others, the way that we say things about others behind their back when they're not listening. How do we talk? How do we treat others? As a follower of Christ Jesus, you and I We are representatives of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before I went to college, uh, probably when I was in middle school even, I began thinking about more seriously, what am I going to do when I grow up? What am I going to do in my life when I get older and out of high school? And in those days, I began thinking that I wanted to be in the Marines, or one of the, uh, the armed forces, at least. But I really wanted to be a Marine because my cousin was a Marine. And my cousin was tough. And my cousin was cool. He lived in California, out by the, the ocean. And he, was on a, in a, uh, he lived out on a, uh, in married housing at, at that time. Uh, but he was still, uh, he was part of the Marine Corps. My family, we went out, we, we visited him when we took a trip out to California. I mean, my, this was my cousin, he was awesome, I wanted to be like him. He was a Marine. But at that time, I didn't realize, even 
that Marines, if you were a Marine, you stood for something. You represented not only the country, our country, the United States of America, but you represented other things. The Marine Corps, if you were part, and if you are a part of the Marine Corps right now, they have a motto that says this, always faithful, always faithful. They would yell it, and they, they will cheer it, and they use it as a greeting. It's their way of life. It embodies the Marines. If you are part of, or, or maybe you were a part of the U.S. Army, their motto is this, will defend. Some of you may have been a part of the U.S. Navy or are a part of the Navy, uh, it is undetermined actually what their motto is. They've had several different mottos. Uh, some sources claim that the unofficial motto is not self, but country. Some claim that it's uh, always courageous. When Rod Scott from our congregation, he told me this week, I was talking to him a little bit about this because I found out that he served in the Navy. He said at that time, the motto was faith, courage, service, truth. He also said that they have an official hymn, Eternal Father, Strong to Save. The U.S. Air Force, their motto is aim high, fly, fight, win. The Coast Guard, always ready. They are on call 365 days a year to protect the water waves and the people of the United States. And then the sixth, nope, I'm sorry, I missed one. The Coast Guard, yep, I said that, always ready. The sixth one is the U.S. Space Force. This was the newest um, branch of the U.S. military, and their motto is always above. Protecting the satellites, looking from the sky, whatever they're doing uh, out in space to protect us. I'm thankful today, and I'm sure you are, for our U.S. military. But each one of them, the people that are serving right now, the people that have served in those branches, stand by those mottos. They represent something. As followers of Jesus Christ, as those of us that have said, I have decided that I'm going to live and follow and live like Jesus. We represent Him. We represent Jesus Christ wherever we are, with, with whomever we're with. And we must live like Jesus. We're representing the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if we're doing that by, by staying in step with the Spirit, the Bible says that we are giving glory to the Lord. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose, so that when we are glorifying the Lord, we're doing His purpose. We're living by that purpose that God wants us to live for, and that's for Him. Number two, Number two, we are also created to be a part of a family. Not only are we created to glorify the Lord, but we're created to be a part of a family. 
And that's not only the families that we are born in, but the family of God. When we bring glory to God through living a life worthy of the calling we received, and we're representing the body of Christ in the way that God created us to do, God also wants us to add to that by remembering, but not just remembering, but what does it really mean to be a part of his family? Ephesians chapter 4 now, going back to our main passage, verses 4 through 6. It says this, in verse 4, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, I started out reading this verse to us, but we're going to add what Paul um, also added to this. Again, he said just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit and in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. So if you have, again, if you have decided to follow Jesus, you have decided to be a part of a large family called the family of God. The Bible also refers to this as the fellowship of believers. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. When Terry and I were in high school, uh, we, I think we knew of each other. I think we probably passed each other at different uh, district events of the Wesleyan Church. We, at that time, were part of the North Michigan District before we became, uh, many years ago, before we became a region that we are part of now. Uh, but the North Michigan District had, uh, at that time, lots of different events that uh, they offered for uh, the youth in the district. Um, some of them were just for, for fun. Uh, we'd have lock-ins together, uh, that we'd play a bunch of sports together, um, uh, do a lot of uh, uh, great activities. But one of the things that the district leadership wanted to make sure uh, about is that they wanted the teenagers in the district to be discipled. They wanted them to live like Jesus. If they had made a commitment to follow Christ, they wanted them to grow in their walk. And they, they knew that uh, some teenagers even may even uh, receive a call to ministry or maybe even be just called to, to minister in greater ways to their family or friends or whoever they were around. So uh, they began a, what was called at that time Fellowship of the Called. Fellowship of the Called, or FOTC. Terry and I were a part of that, um, uh, uh, those events. And we'd gather together some of uh, the leadership, and they'd gather as many teens that felt called to ministry or called to, to share Christ in greater ways, and we would meet to, to be discipled and to grow and as like-minded Christ followers. We were a part of a fellowship, a body of believers. The word fellowship in the New Testament comes from the Greek word 
koinonia. You've heard of that word before, koinonia. It's translated actually in different ways uh, from the Greek. Um, uh, the writers of Scripture use it in different ways. It can be translated as fellowship, that English word uh, that like we read about in Acts 2.42. It also is interpreted as contribution, as we see in 2 Corinthians 9.13. Another way to use koinonia is uh, used as in the word share. It's quite interesting in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and may share, that word in the Greek is koinonia, share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. As the body of Christ, we are family. We are part of a family together. Families stick up for each other, don't they? Or at least they should. Families share with one another. Families do life together. Families even suffer together. When one of us is suffering, we're all suffering. Or at least we should uh, hold people up in prayer, help them, encourage them in those times of suffering. It's more than just having fun together fun activities together. It's about being connected through Jesus Christ. Paul, I believe, was very specific in those words, and and, uh, he wasn't just throwing out a word, that word bond, when he said, the bond of peace. Make sure we have unity together through the bond of peace. We can't do those things effectively that I just mentioned without being connected as a body to Jesus Christ and through Jesus. He is our connection, and that is how it brings unity, through Jesus. The definition of unity, the quality or state of being multiple, of not being multiple. Now, we want to multiply, we want to grow uh, that is our great commission to go into the go- into the the world and preach the gospel, multiplying, multiplying as much as we can. But uh, when it comes to unity as a body of Christ, we don't want to have multiple and all kinds of things going on. The actual definition of unity means oneness. That's one definition. It's a condition of harmony, or the word accord. Being of one accord. It also means the quality or state of being made one. Or you could say unification there. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says in verses 1 through 4. He writes, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but consider, or in vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. In verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We are all different. 
Those of you that have fallen asleep, you need to wake up here. Because I want you to turn to your, uh, somebody sitting close to you and just tell them, you are different. <laughs> yeah, you're different. Now, don't get carried away. Yeah. <laughs> I know some of us are very different. Um, I'm different. You're different. We are all different, aren't we? Some of us here today are male. Some female. Some of you are fathers. Some of you are mothers today. Some of you have siblings. Some of you are an only child. Some of you have long, beautiful hair. Some of us don't. (laughs) Some of you have gone through lots of suffering in life. Some of us have have been privileged to not have to have much suffering. Some of you may have lots of tattoos on your body. Some of us don't. Your skin may be white, black, red, dark, tan, white, yellow, whatever your color is. We may have different hobbies. Some of us might like sports. Some of us can't stand sports. (laughs) Some of you are introverts, some of you are extroverts, and some of you here today are thinking, what is an introvert and what is an extrovert? (laughs) When I was a kid, I wanted to get rid of my freckles. If you look at my face today, and when I look in the mirror, I don't see very many freckles on my face anymore. I think I was sunburned so many times that it just peeled off, uh, those freckles, but uh, I thought it was very interesting when Terry told me just a couple of days ago that pe- people pay big money to have freckles tattooed or put on their face. I thought, I wanted, to, I wanted to do anything to get rid of the freckles on my face. I didn't want to stand out as a, as a kid growing up. But we're all different, aren't we? God has created us in a different way. So how can we be one? How can we be unified together as one body if we're all different? Only through the connection and the bond of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. Through the bond of peace. In John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23, this is part of a chapter we can read, and the whole chapter is a prayer. Prayer of Jesus And part of his prayer, he prays for all of us. Years and years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you on this earth and for me. And And he prayed this way. He said, my prayer is not for them alone, but my prayer is also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, all of us that have decided to follow him. That all of them may be one, Father. So out of all the things Jesus could have prayed for, he prays that all of them may be one. Just as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me 
and have loved them even as you have loved me. Unity, usually unity, does not happen automatically. We have to work at it. We have to pray for that Jesus comes and his peace comes in a way that brings us together. Often differences among people can lead to division. The Life Application Study Bible says this about that, uh, that differences can lead to division, but this should not be true in a church. Instead of concentrating on what divides us, we should remember what unites us. Paul reminds us about that. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. Let's remember that today. Let's emphasize that as we're together. That's what unifies us together as a church. Those of you that are husband and wife here, or maybe you've been married before and uh, for different reasons you're not married anymore, you'll, you'll relate to this illustration. Well, husbands and wives, you know that when two people get married, the Bible says, and this was probably talked about even at your wedding ceremony, the Bible says that each spouse is united together and becomes one flesh. Becomes one flesh. Each spouse, however, is different. They're different. They have different personalities. They have different likes and, and dislikes. Their backgrounds uh, are probably different in the way that they grew up. But they become somehow, the Bible says, one together. Satan tries to get us to focus then on our differences as a couple. And he does all he can to get us to get irritated and eventually angry and upset at our spouse. We talk about this in, in premarital counseling, that some of the things that you love about the person you're going to marry, somehow it drives you crazy after a year or two. Uh, I don't know how that works, but um, uh, sometimes that happens. And, and Satan will use that to get under your skin and get you angry and get you upset at your spouse. The same is true, though, for the body of Christ, his bride. Satan's doing all he can in every church that is God-honoring, every church that wants to glorify the Lord and all that it's doing. He's trying to stir up everything to, so that the church will end up dis, in disunity instead of being unified as a body of believers. We must not let him win that battle. We need to focus on the things that unite us, like the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4 and also in Philippians. What unites you as a married couple, those are the things that you need to focus on. What unites us as a body of believers and the bride of Christ, that's what we need to focus on. For example, what is your faith in God? Remember, your faith in God can unite you as a couple. What are your values? If you don't know what your values are as a couple, talk about those things. Terry and I, uh, sometimes when, we're, uh, when we know that Satan's using things uh, to try to uh, get us to be uh, not unified together, we think, 
okay, let's bring this back. We haven't talked about our values for a while. You know, what, what are we really about as a couple? What do we want to do to honor God together as a couple and as a family? What unites us as a body of believers? Focus on strengthening unity. We are in a mission field, and right in the middle of the mission field where God has placed each one of us. There are people that are lost in sin, and when and if they see us arguing, seeing us fighting over petty issues, that is not doing what Paul's reminded us here about letting the world see the love of Jesus inside of us and going outside of us in our actions. We need to be fighting for unity. As followers of Jesus, we have the truth. We have the truth in our hearts, and I hope that we're living by the truth and glorifying the Lord. People need to hear it. People need to experience that. That's what should keep us awake at night, praying for the lost. Not thinking about all the things that we could change about people or change maybe even in our church or in our world or something. How many times have we stopped and prayed for people who know need Jesus? And focus on those and on that. Important prayer. That's intentional, missional ministry. We're going to go on to to number three, but before we do that, I was reminded of a song. And this song was actually written in 1966. I don't remember the last time that I, that I sang this song in church, uh, but we used to sing it a lot when I was a kid. And it says this, We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And together, we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, they will know we are Christians by our love. We will work with each other. We will work side by side and we'll guard each one's dignity and save each one's pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, they'll know we are Christians by our love. That's the truth today. Jesus said it. They'll know that you are my followers by the way that you love one another. We are created to glorify the Lord. We were created to be a part of a family. We are also created to live gracefully. Gracefully. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4 as we wrap this up. And we're going to spend more time 
on this point and going on to uh, ways that we can serve the Lord in specific ways uh, starting next week. But let's wrap this up in these verses, 7 through 10. Paul goes on, he says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth. The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. We were created to live grace-filled lives. To live gracefully. The The word graceful means displaying grace in form or action. It means pleasing or attractive in line, proportion or movement. The word gracefully also means in, in an attractively elegant way, in a respectful and dignified way. You might think of a, like a ballet dancer uh, dancing and being graceful in their dancing. Brennan Manning, I referred to him some last week in some of his writings, he referred to this as radical grace. Radical grace. And he wrote, discipleship is our response to grace. Whatever measure of grace we have received and to, ha- who, and to whatever degree of discipleship we are called, every Christian stands under the cross of Jesus Christ wherein we find salvation. So without the grace of God, we cannot even desire God. He's talking about prevenient grace there, that we, that we have this grace that goes before a grace, that we can't even desire God unless God grants us that prevenient grace. Without the grace of God, I cannot walk, he said. I cannot walk the talk of Christ and the kingdom lifestyle. He said, all my goodwill and grim resolve could not keep me sober without the grace of God. We can't live gracefully in life without God's grace filling us and helping us to live like Jesus. When we operate in the spiritual giftedness of God, we are living and we are serving through the grace that has been proportioned to us for kingdom purposes. If you've truly experienced the grace of God cleansing you, purifying you, uh, creating you into a new creation, if you've experienced that, then you will be thankful for God's grace. I'm sure you are thankful for God's grace today if you've experienced that. But you will also, I believe, be happy to serve Jesus. You'll be happy to serve the King. Because of the grace that you've experienced in life. Because he has changed your life. Because he has made you new. That's what being created to live gracefully is about. Just a little bit about that. Like I said, we'll talk about that more next week. But we are to live gracefully in lives. Susan, Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was John Wesley's mother. 
history tells us that she had, I believe it was 19 children. 15 of them survived, I think, when I was reading about her. But could you imagine, mothers, 19 children? I read that Susanna Wesley, to, to get time alone with God, what she would do is she'd get in her bed and she would pull up her bed sheets and her covers and she would hide herself underneath those covers just to have some moments alone uh, without all those children. But Susanna Wesley was a mother that raised her children to follow Jesus. When you read the history about her life, many of her children, if not all of them, I I don't know all that history, but uh, they went on to serve Jesus. They went on to be uh, pastors and and teachers. John Wesley, his brother Charles Wesley, uh, great leaders in the Church of England, and then also... uh, uh, God used them in, in many other ways uh, for the kingdom of God. And ultimately, John Wesley is our founder of, of Methodism, and then later on in, in uh, the Wesleyan Church. There are many, many mothers that we could look at, like Susanna Wesley, and say, that's a mother that glorified the Lord. That's a mother that, that served God wholeheartedly. That's a mother that was part of a family, not just her own family, raising children and taking care of perhaps the household and maybe even working outside the home, whatever they had to do to help out with their family, but they were part of God's family. And that's a mother also that lived gracefully. We can all learn from their examples today. But I want you to think as well as your, about your own life. Are you living in those ways? Are you living your life? As Paul said, uh, I urge you to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you living to glorify God? Are you living as a part of his family? And are you living a graceful life today and throughout your week? Let's stand. As we pray together, I just want to pray a closing prayer and and just um, just urge you to to commit your life in these ways, in these three ways. I urge you, as well as a pastor, to do that today. And then after after we've done that, I'm just going to have you sit back down. We have one little short video we're going to do and then uh, ask our mothers to come up and and, uh, receive one of these flowers. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the bond of peace. Our, the glue, the bond, the one who holds us together. Unify us, Lord, in greater ways. Help us to live the life worthy of the calling that you have placed upon each of us and placed upon our church. Help us to do that in greater ways each and every day. Help us, Lord, not to just Keep it inside, but to also live it around people that need to know you. We ask for your help. We can't do it in an effective way without you and without your grace. Thank you for helping us each day, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.